Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of Judges. If you have a Bible, turn to Judges chapter 7, verse 1, and follow along while I read. Then Jerubel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then twenty-two thousand of the people returned, and ten thousand remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand, and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provision in their hands and their trumpets. And he sent the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went with Pura his servant to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. He said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hands. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets in their hands, all of them, and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me, and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of the camp, and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. 
So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord sent every man's sword against his comrade and against the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shetah toward Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Mahola by Tabith. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them, as far as Bethbarah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Bethbarah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. This is a fascinating story where God tells Gideon that he wants the nation of Israel to put all of their trust in him and realize that it is he who is giving them the victory. He does this by conquering the armies of Midian and the Amalekites and the people from the east with just 300 men. And while we can learn a lot about trust and faith from this story, I want us to focus on fear. Because in this story, God tells Gideon, if you're afraid, go down to the camp and listen to what the people are saying. I think very often in our time, one of the reasons that we fail to take the action that God wants us to take is because we're afraid. We're afraid of the results, the consequences. We're afraid that we're not able or capable. And we've talked about some of those things so far. But today I want us to talk about the difference between being afraid to do something and being controlled by fear. See, it's okay to be scared sometimes. Brave people get scared too. Sometimes the bravest people are the ones who do what they're supposed to do, even though they are scared. It is okay to be scared and to have fears. Being brave means that you try not to let those fears control how you live or act. Very often, when we're afraid to do something, when we're afraid to take action, it's because we feel very unprepared. We think we're not ready, that we may fail if we try. That's the situation, it seems, that Gideon finds himself in. He had already questioned the angel of the Lord about him being able to lead Israel into battle and to secure their deliverance. He thought he was the least significant person in the least significant family in all of Israel, and he just didn't see how he was prepared to lead this deliverance. And as we read the events of this chapter, we see that God knows that Gideon's afraid. God is the one that tells Gideon, if you're scared, You can go down to the camp. You can listen to what the people are saying, and it'll put your mind at ease. God knows that Gideon is scared, but he's also willing to allay those fears. 
God knows that we're afraid. He sent Jesus to help us deal with those fears. He set Jesus as an example and the first fruits of resurrection so that we would know we had nothing to fear because even physical death ends in our resurrection. But he knows that sometimes we're still afraid and he wants to put our fears to rest. God does not want our fear to control us. See, the problem is when we're afraid, we're focused on the fear. When we're able to keep fear from controlling us, we can clearly see some things that God is doing. The first one that we can see, as Gideon does, is that God provides encouragement. God wants us to take confidence in his power. When God goes to Gideon, he says, you've got too many soldiers. I I don't want these people to be prideful. I want you to experience the might of my power. He wanted Gideon to be confident, to not be scared, but he wanted him to not be scared because of the power of God, not his own strength. If we are focused on our own strength and what we're capable of doing on our own, we may be completely justified in being afraid. But if God is our father, If we're a disciple of his son, Jesus, we have nothing to fear because of the power that is available to us through them. Throughout the story, we see the 300 soldiers that are still around when God has put them through all of their tests. And we see the impact that they have on all of Israel. As they begin this battle, they inspire others to join them in the battle. See, seeing God at work in the lives of others can embolden us. Very often when we're feeling unable, when we're feeling unprepared, just seeing others take the lead gives us someone to follow and gives us a roadmap of how to be successful. So when we have fears, God wants us to take confidence in his power, but we may experience that power in the lives of others before we experience it in ourselves. Another thing that we can see when fear is not controlling us is that God provides a plan. When Gideon was first told that he was to lead the deliverance of Israel, he was afraid that he wouldn't be able to do it. And he's asked God several times to prove to him that it's going to happen. He's very unsure. He's very frightened about the potential consequences. But as he goes to this camp of the Midianites and hears What they're saying, he starts to understand the plan that God has for him. And then he's even more willing to take the actions that God's asked him to do. It's a strange plan. 300 people are going to have torches and trumpets. They're going to stand around the camp of Midian and they're going to scream and yell and blow trumpets and flash their torches. In doing this, the armies of Midian, the Amalekites, and the people from the east seem to think that each of these torches represent more than one man, that there may be a whole division of men behind these folks, and these are the ones just leading the way. And if you've got enough soldiers to let 300 men just hold torches and blow trumpets, then there must be a huge army there, and you're completely surrounded at night. And they begin to run in every direction and end up attacking each other as the 300 soldiers of Israel stand around the camp. I'm sure if the Midianites and the Amalekites could have seen a movie of what happened and how they looked, they would have felt pretty foolish. But in this story and so many others in Scripture, we see that it 
pleases God to defeat evil with foolishness. There's actually a verse in the New Testament that speaks to this. Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Paul said it brought pleasure to God to see these people who thought they were wise being made to look ridiculous by the message that was being preached. There wasn't an army that came in and and defeated them. There wasn't a group of angry people protesting. There were just kind-hearted people going around and asking people to be kind to each other because their King Jesus had set that example. And that if they were faithful to that, they would be rewarded with a home in heaven. It didn't make any sense to people who knew better. Uh, But to those people who believed it and who cherished that, it made all the difference in the world. We see in this story and in our own experience that uh, people who do not know God can be very confused by his plans. The Midianites and Amalekites ended up attacking each other because they had been thrown into a state of confusion by God's plan. We see in the world people often questioning Christians and the Bible and God and Christianity in general because they don't get it. They don't understand how people can be kind and turn the other cheek and not demand to get their way all the time and actually follow the example of Jesus. It confuses them. But God provides a plan that if we're faithful to it, it enables us to overcome all the troubles of this world and live with him for eternity. And one other thing, when we're not blinded by our own fear, when we're not allowing that to control us, we can see clearly that God provides victory for Gideon as his story has unfolded and he's asked for certain assurances and he's taken certain steps of obedience to do the things that God wants. As he continues to have those interactions with God, his faith grows and he becomes more and more able to see that God is using him to deliver Israel, that God is providing the victory. There's a lot that we could say about the victories that God provides for us and how they relate to what Gideon is experiencing. But a couple of things that I want to mention, and one is that we have to stand our ground regardless of how the situation looks. For Gideon and the 300 men with him, this was not a situation where they would run and attack the other armies with their torches and with their trumpets. They would stand in place. They would stand firm, and God would provide the victory. That's very similar to what God has told us. We don't have to go out and fight people. We don't have to win people for the Lord. The Lord wins his own followers. When people are touched by his message, when they are convicted by his spirit, they turn to him. The people who do not want to live by God's standard, who do not want to acknowledge him as Lord of their life, 
those people we don't have to go out and beat. We just have to stand firm so that through the foolishness of what is preached, God can provide the victory. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter is writing to a group of Christians who are being persecuted. He lets them know that he understands their struggle, that he understands that Satan is behind this and reminds them that they have to stand firm. God is the one who restores, confirms, strengthens, and establishes us. But he does that as we stand firm, not as we go out and try to be a hype man for God or for Jesus or not because we go out and berate people to try to get them to accept the way that we talk about Jesus. We do it by standing firm. What does that mean? We do everything God asks us to do until he says stop. Just keep doing what he wants. Even if it makes people angry, even if they persecute us, even if they kill us, we keep doing what God wants and allow God to win the victory. One other passage, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. God provides a victory. If we're willing to stand our ground, stand firm in his grace, God has worked everything out. He's had a plan from the beginning of time, and it will be enacted. 
what he's asked of us in return is that we give our lives to him to be used for his purposes. And he will seal us with his Holy Spirit so that we are guaranteed our inheritance. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.